Good morning. morning. It's good to see you folks today. Many of you have those big smiles on your face. That's what I like to see. You know, it's interesting. Every, Every Monday morning when I go to my office, when I come in, I always write down who was here and who isn't. And we need to pray for our congregation because usually on a typical Sunday morning, we have about 30% of our people missing because of being sick. And, you know, I, I feel this, this whole COVID thing has really um, taken its toll on a lot of people and a lot of churches. So we need to keep this church, our church, and, and our sister churches in our prayers. I want to begin this morning with the, the second part of this two-part series on fearless. We talked last week about the, um, in the Old Testament about Esther being fearless. Today we're going to talk about Stephen. And I want to begin this morning with this question. <clears throat> and the question is this. We know that Stephen was a, a man who was, he was humble, he was bold, he was wise, he was, he was fearless. And my question to you this morning is this. How, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? You know, it, is that question important to you? Is that question an important question to you? Well, I think it is. I think for all of us, who wants to be remembered as Mr. or Mrs. Grumpy Pants? Or Mr. and Mrs. Down in the Dumps? No, none of us want to be remembered that way. We want to be remembered well. So what do you hope people will say about you when you're gone? How many, or how will people who knew you best summarize your 60 years or your 70 years or your 80 years, however long you're going to live, how will they best say about what, how you lived your life? It was in 2003, January of 2003 for you football fans. How many of you are Ohio State Buckeye fans? Okay, we got one. We'll get him after church, okay? <laughs> How many of you are Penn State fans here? Okay, there's a few of you. How about West Virginia fans? No? Okay. Those are, those are basic, the basic three, but anyway. It was in January of 2003 when the Ohio State Buckeyes, and you probably, as a Buckeye fan, you probably remember this. They were playing the number one ranked Miami Hurricanes for the NCAA National College Football Championship. The Buckeyes were considered the underdogs because Miami, at that point, had a 34-game winning streak going on, meaning that they had defeated every team that they had played for nearly three full years. I mean, they were a force to reckon with. Just before they left the locker room, Jim, I think it's Trestle, is that how you say his name? Trestle, 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 okay who was the head coach of the Ohio State um, Buckeyes, gathered his team for one final talk. And as he closed his his, um, pep talk, he asked every single player this one question. He said, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Well, I guess that pep talk must have worked because when the game was over, the Buckeyes had pulled off one of the greatest upsets in recent memory and they had defeated the Miami Hurricanes 31 to 24 ending a 34 game winning streak and winning the national championship pretty awesome let me ask you again 
How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? What do you hope people will say about you after you're gone? There was a guy by the name of Ray Pritchard. He tells a a story about his brother Andy, who lives in Florence, Alabama. And while there, Andy wanted to show Ray an old graveyard out in the country. And so they drove along this remote country county road, and they finally stopped near the ruins of a an old Civil War plantation. And so Ray says, you know, we got out and, and we walked into the woods and we walked about a quarter of a mile and we came upon this old graveyard that was for the plantation. And so we climbed over this low wall and we began inspecting the gravestones and most of them were probably, he said, about 150 years old or, or maybe older. Uh, many of the markers contained phrases like loving father, beloved mother, darling son or daughter, rest in peace, you know, asleep in Jesus, and so on. And eventually they came to the grave of the man who owned the plantation for many years. And under his name was his, of course, his birth date and his, his date of death. But there was a five-word statement that summed up his whole life. And this is what it said. A man of unquestioned integrity. Wow. What a, what a great, just five words, nothing more, nothing less, but what a great statement about someone's life. A man of unquestioned integrity. Suppose it was your tombstone. What words would your friends or your family choose to put on your tombstone? What would it be? What would it be? How do you want to be remembered? We've asked that three times now. How do you want to be remembered? Well, you know, Stephen, Stephen was a man in the Bible who was remembered well. Every time I read about him, he is just remembered well. Um, who wouldn't want to be described in the terms of like a humble man, a bold man, a wise man, a fearless man? Think about it for a minute. Don't we all... Don't we all want to strive to be modest and and kind and strong and knowledgeable and courageous? Don't we want to be that way? This one man who was briefly mentioned in the New Testament was all of that and then some, but it cost him his life. For we know the story of Stephen is told in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7, and is, you know, It is pretty well known because of the significance of the events and pretty much the gruesome nature of what happened to him. You know, a a man named Stephen was stoned to death by an angry crowd and becomes what we call the first Christian martyr of the New Testament, killed by because of his beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it was not your average situation, and Stephen, I don't believe, was your average man. I think he was, he was just as bold and as fearless as, as they come. And to be honest, we don't really know a lot about Stephen apart from Acts chapter 6 and 7. We know his name was Greek for Stephanus, but he was probably a Jew who spoke Greek and adopted Greek customs. But we don't really know that a lot about him. But one thing that we do know is that Stephen was humble. And he lowered himself to serve others. And if you have your Bibles, I don't have the scriptures up on the, up on the um, screen today. 
I want you to follow along in your Bibles, if you would. But I'm going to begin with chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. This is what it says. As Stephen was a humble man, and he lowered himself to serve others. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against those of the Aramaic-speaking community because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, uh, uh, Procurus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, um, Parmetheus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Stephen was selected. He was selected one out of seven men of good reputation, full of spirit, full of wisdom, to do a job to administer and supervise the distribution of food and charity to the least fortunate. You know, I thought about that as I was reading this passage this week and and preparing for this just how great of a magnitude the, the church was back in that day. And oh, if the church was that today and reaching out and taking care of those who need to be taken care of instead of allowing the government to do that. There was neglect of some of the Jewish widows. And so they had to do something about that. So Stephen and six others were sympathetic to the cause of Christ and the church community, and they were willing to submit to the authority of the apostles so the apostles could continue to do the the ministry of preaching the word. And so right away we see that that Stephen is recognized by his peers in verse 3 there as a capable and respectable godly man who was tenderhearted, selfless, and humble. He wanted to serve. His desire was to serve. The second thing that we see was that Stephen was also bold. I want you to notice as we, as we look down through here again, and, and look, let's start with verse 7 there. And this is what it says. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen a man full of grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the, of the freedmen, as it were called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the, the provinces of Sicily and, and, and Asia. These men beca- became or began to argue with Stephen 
but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. This guy was educated. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses to, to testify. Does that sound like something? Does that sound like someone else? Sounds like the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Wow. How, how closely related that sounds like what took place with Jesus. As the word of God increased, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And see, Stephen was bold. He, he, he speaks the truth with power and without hesitation. Stephen was, was you know, he was, a, he was a leader himself, and he spoke full of grace and power and did wonders and signs among the people, it says in verse 8 there. He was confronted by the people in the, in the Jewish synagogue, which was their place of worship, kind of like their church. And so he was confronted by them. But because Stephen was full of grace and, and power and wisdom, they couldn't stand up against him. Their arguments were flimsy. They could not handle it. And Stephen was bold. And so he did not refrain from boldly speaking the word of God, speaking the truth, and particularly ruffling the feathers of the Jewish traditionalists who, who did not grasp the expiring of the old Mosaic law by the by the way of this new high priest who was Jesus, and, and a, a new eternal temple replacing the physical one of stone before them, and, and verse 14 there. And so they, they were pretty furious with him. Have you ever stood up like that and made someone that mad at you that they wanted to kill you? <laughs> Have I ever made you that mad at me? that you wanted to take me out back and, 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 and stone me? I hope not. Maybe I should. Maybe we should be speaking that way. I don't know. But they were furious with him, and, and they conspired to destroy him. And they instigated false charges and, and, and witnesses against this guy. And so what they did was they seized him, and they brought him before the council of the Jewish priests, the, the leaders of the Sanhedrin. And notice here, the third thing that I want to share with you this morning is this, is that Stephen was wise. He is knowledgeable of the detail of the historic events and the context of that. And so this man, he was unfazed. In fact, notice what it says there in verse 15. It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The face of an angel. How many of your moms have ever said that you have the face of an angel? You know, Dave, 
when I think of someone who has the face of an angel, I don't think of you. <laughs> no, Dave, Dave and I have a good relationship, so I can pick one up. I think of my grandchildren, that, that face of an angel, until they start crying. <laughs> no, but, but that's the way they looked at him. They, it was the face of an angel. So, you know, it is clear, particularly with what he, he said next, that, that God, I think that God filled him truly like a man filled with the, the Holy Spirit of the living God. That's who he was. And so in the next 50 verses, and I'm not going to read those from, from Acts 7 to um, chapter, chapter 7, verses 2 through 50. I'm not going to read those. But Stephen, what he does is he gives counsel, you know, th- this counsel, a, a profound Jewish lesson here. He gives them a, a solid Jewish lesson here, history lesson. And so I want to share with you some of the, the highlights of what he said to them. In Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, this is what he says. You know, Stephen reaches back to the beginning of the Jewish era, starting with God's call to Abraham and, and the promise, the promised land, you know, for Israel and his descendants. And then in, in verse 6 there, he goes on to say he describes God's prediction of the enslavement of his descendants mistreated as aliens in this land of Egypt for 400 years. And then in verse 7, he describes God's judgment on the imprisoning nation. And if you remember at the, at the parting of the Red Sea, just about the whole army, if not the whole army of, of Egypt, drowned in the Red Sea. And then in verse 8, he goes on, you know, to, to share this highlight here. He, he then speaks of the covenant of circumcision in the line of descendants, which was Isaac and Jacob and his 12 sons. And then in verses 9 and 10, he describes the 11 sons' jealousy and their, their actions against their brother Joseph, who was sold into slavery in Egypt, yet with God's hand finds favor before the Pharaoh, the, the king, and, and, and made, made Joseph governor over all of Egypt. This is what Stephen's telling these folks. And then in verses 11 through 16, he retells the story of the great famine in Egypt and Canaan, which, which led Joseph's father and his, his, about 75 members of his family to come down and to take residence in Egypt under the protective authority of the, of the Pharaoh and of Joseph. And then if you look at verses 17 through 22... Then he, he speaks how over time the sons of Jacob grew and, and multiplied in Egypt until there arose this new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph or Joseph's family or their history. And so what he did was he sought to destroy their infant sons because they were becoming too populous. But Moses survived. If you remember that story, Moses survived. And then in verses 23 through 35, Stephen speaks then of Moses' rise to leadership of the Hebrews, the the Jewish nation, and his encounter with God in this burning bush where he says, "I, I am the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And 
And then in verses 36 through 50, he then speaks of the many signs and wonders of God through Moses, who delivered his people from Egypt, and 40 years in, in the wilderness before Joshua leads them into the promised land, and eventually David's son Solomon will build the temple of the Most High God. And so he shares those things. But you know what? Here's where his problem came in. As Stephen finished this history lesson, he then labeled his accusers as stiff-necked people. In other words, he was calling them haughty and arrogant and stubborn, just like their ancestors, uncircumcised in, in heart and ears, who always resist the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he reminds them of their father's persecution of, of God's prophets and their own betrayal and murdering of the righteous one, who was Jesus. If he had cut it off from there before he had said all that, I don't know if they would have stoned him. But when, they, when he stepped across that line and he basically was telling the truth, this is what you did, this is who you are, that didn't sit well. And so, if you can't beat him, kill him. These folks could not stand up to the wisdom and the truth of what Stephen had to say. Think about that. Truth is hard to beat. Lies can't overcome it. So instead of continuing to listen, what they decided to do was they, they decided to just get rid of the problem. Stephen was the problem. Let's just get rid of him. And so the fourth thing that I want to point out here is that Stephen was fearless. Stephen does not shrink back from the fear of punishment or even death. And notice what it says there. I want to go over to Acts chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I want you to just follow along with me. Look at verses 54 through 60. I want to read that. Verses 54 through 60. When they heard this, talking about the stiff-neckedness, the stiff-necked people, the uncircumcised hearts and ears. When they heard this, they were furious and they, they gnashed their teeth at him. How many of you have ever been so mad that you gnash your teeth? I don't even know what that looks like. Ah, have you ever been that mad at someone that you want to just gnash your teeth? Well, that, that's what they did. It says that they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this moment, they covered their ears. This sounds like little kids, doesn't it? They covered their ears and they were yelling at the top of their voices. They didn't want to hear anything that he had to say, so... I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. I am not. That's what they were doing. They didn't want to hear anything that he had to say. And so they, they, they rushed him and they, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Hmm. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Again, who does that sound like? Yeah. The, the Jewish leaders were, were so enraged when they heard these things, particularly at Stephen's conclusion, the strong conclusion that he had. You know, he had no fear as they rushed together. They grabbed him and they threw him out of the city and there they stoned him. You know, and I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to get stoned to death can't even imagine you know stoned to death with boulders until you're dead I remember as a kid I was out playing with my cousin and he was a lot bigger than me and I was hiding down behind this log and I I stuck my head up and just as I stuck my head up he had this clump it was a big mud clump so it wasn't a solid rock and I stuck my head up and it got me right here and down my neck just about knocked me out. You know, I was like, holy cow, what was that all about? I remember as a kid watching my mom as she was mowing the grass and had this huge rock come flying out, and all I could see was something coming at me, and it got me right in the eye. I, had, I lost my vision for like three or four months, and, and even to today, when I'm at the eye doctor, they'll say, you had trauma in that one eye, didn't you? Because the pupil was, is shaped different than the other one. I remember as a kid, I'm surprised I lived through it. <laughs> I remember as a kid, we were going down, my, my grandmother and my grandfather had this farm and they had a driveway that was about a mile and a half long. And there would be times when it would get washed out and stones would be in there. And so we'd have to go and throw stones along the side of the road to, to keep it from, you know, from hitting the tires when you go through. And I remember my, my youngest brother was here, my second youngest brother was here, and I was over here. And we had this, this way of doing this where Kip would pick one up, then Jeff would pick one up, and then I would pick one up, and we'd throw them. Well, we got out of sink, and just as I get ready to throw this rock, I mean, this rock was like this big with a pointed end on it. My brother, Kip, stuck his head right down to get something, and bam, I hit him right in the head. We had to take him to the hospital. He had to have stitches. If you want to ask what it would be like to be stoned, ask my brother. He can tell you. But they would do this until the person was dead. I can't even imagine. But as they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, can you imagine? As they're killing him, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He prayed for his attackers just like Jesus did when he was being crucified. And when he had said all this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. You know, Stephen's life, and even more so his death, I think should be such a great example of how every believer should, should strive to live their life. You know, I think the words of, of the Apostle Paul in, in Colossians chapter 3 kind of sum it up. This is what it says. 
It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when I, when I read this passage of scripture, I cannot help but think of Stephen's life. Number one, he, he was committed to the Lord no matter what. Even in the face of death, he was committed to the Lord. Will we be committed like Stephen was to the Lord? Number two, he was faithful in sharing the gospel boldly. He wasn't afraid to share the message. He wasn't afraid to get his, his hands dirty either as he served others. Um, my question is, will we be bold in, in sharing the gospel and, and servants who aren't afraid to get our hands dirty when it comes to serving God like Stephen did? See, it's not just Bob Hart's job or Mark McGee's job or Jerry Timbrook's job to share the gospel message. It's all of ours. It's our mission to share the gospel message, every single one of us. And so every single one of us might stand where Stephen stood one day. Third of all, Stephen was knowledgeable about God's truth. You know, guys, we have got to be, we have got to be students of the word. I'm so proud of you. Many of you are, are, are reading through the Bible in this year with us. We need to continue to do that. We need to be students of the word. You know, because if, if you don't know, you're not going to be prepared. You're not going to be prepared for what Satan's going to throw at you. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we live in a world where Satan is dominating. My question is, you know, we must be able, we must be able to defend and promote the gospel. Are we able to defend and promote the gospel? And fourth, like Stephen, we need to not be afraid. We need to not be afraid to stand fearlessly and being used by God for his plan and his purpose in our lives. We can't be afraid to do that. Whenever I'm preaching a funeral message, I always use this verse when it's a Christian laying in that casket. It's taken from Psalms 116, verse 15. And it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of God was the death of Stephen. You know, it's interesting though, folks. In the scripture, there are 17 references that talk about Jesus being at the right hand of God. Did you know that? 17 references. 15 of those references say that Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. But there are two places that Jesus is, is said to be standing at the right hand of God. Do you know where those two places are? Well, one of them is in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. And the other one is in Acts chapter 7, verse 56. This is what it says there. Remember what it says. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up in heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And then verse 56, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. These two places where Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Of the 17 references that talk about Jesus being at the right hand of God, these two right here, why do you think that is? Why do you think that Jesus is standing there instead of seated at the right hand of God? Well, I think, number one, I think that Jesus stands with Stephen just like he had stood before the Sanhedrin when he was crucified. Because, you see, I think that Jesus knew exactly what Stephen was going through. Second of all, I think that Jesus stands to let Stephen know that he's not alone. Remember what what, um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20? He says, Jesus tells us that, that he would be with us to the very end of the age, that we are not alone, that he would be there with us. And then the third reason why I think he stands there is I think he was cheering Stephen on to show him honor. Jesus was showing Stephen the honor that that he needed to complete the task. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Stephen knew what was on the other side. He knew what he was going to. And so do we. We know what's on the other side. We know to whom we're going to. You know, it says that Stephen was about 29 years of age when he died. That's pretty young. Is there anybody in here that's 29 or or younger? (laughs) Okay, is there anyone that needs to confess any lies that they've been telling (laughs) But yeah, but 29 years of age, that's pretty young. But, but look at the impression Stephen made on the world and the result of living a life for God, even at the young age that he was. Well, let me tell you this right now, folks. We are no different than Stephen. We are flesh and blood human beings just like Stephen. We are no different So the question is this, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Would you like to be remembered as a humble person? Would you like to be remembered as as a bold person? Would you like to be remembered as a wise person? Would you like to be remembered as as a fearless person? Would you like to be remembered for all those things and then some? Would you like to be remembered like that? Well, I want to leave you with these last words of encouragement as we seek to follow God. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? I believe that Stephen understood that. If God is for us, who can be against us? And as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we need to do is we need to stand strong, we need to stand faithful, we need to stand fearless. And I guarantee you this one thing for sure. Don't be afraid. Stand fearless and remember that Jesus will be standing with you. He will be standing with you. We are not alone. God is there with us. And so this morning, 
as we close our time together and as the band comes, if there is a decision that you need to make, we, op- we offer you that opportunity, whether it's that you need prayer or you need to come to be baptized in the water graves of baptism or, or you just need to rededicate your life or repent over something, we offer the opportunity for you to come this morning as we stand and sing. Would you please stand with me?